Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of the Niner Noise Podcast, part of the fan-sided podcast network, easy for me to say. Uh, my name is Robert Morrison, a contributor at NinerNoise.com, and here with me uh, once again uh, in, I'm sure, the throes of utter, utter sadness, uh, fellow contributor Akshaz Dovadula. Akshaz, did I get that about right? You know, I am... Um... I've been trying to work on myself this year to not get super sad every time the 49ers lose a game. So I've been I've been playing some music, doing some other things to kind of avoid. <laughs> I am like, oh, there you go. I think about football. Yeah, I'm furious right now. Sure. Yeah. Um, of course, this is this is a little different because. Over the last for the for the first six games of the season, we had a little bit of time to to you know marinate on it before we got to talk about it which was you know probably which is not fun when when we're when those games are wins it's like you know you're just thinking about it for for two days basically um but the last couple of weeks uh obviously have not gone well um the 49ers lose their second game of the season second in a row uh another bad loss uh to a team that they probably should have handled pretty well under the circumstances uh 22 to 17 to the minnesota vikings on monday night football um it's now two straight weeks where the 49ers have scored under 20 points and actually have scored exactly 17 points um after that string of what was it like eight or nine straight regular season games or something like that with scoring 30 or more um so not the switch from the offense that we would have liked to see um you know we talked about that the browns game and how we we thought 17 points wouldn't have been all that bad of an outcome in that particular game and this just the the off the defense couldn't hold their own similarly uh well actually i think this is sort of the antithesis of that uh i think this is a game that we both expected the offense to kind of get back on track and for whatever reason um it did not um I think, and as we'll get into it, I'm sure uh, this is a this is this was a different kind of failure from the offense. Whereas last week it was like they can't do anything; they're just completely uh, devoid of ideas. They're going backwards a lot of times. This one was more of a like a a finishing problem, um, as I'm sure we'll 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 break down in a little bit. And um, you know, it if if the offense had been able to do more, this is one of those games where even though the defense or gave up 22 points. If the offense gets into the 30s, then the 22 doesn't matter, and it's just it's frustrating at this point. Um, I, I jokingly said to you um, that the uh, Niners didn't get the job done in all four phases of the game. I don't know if you noticed that when I said that to you earlier when we were talking about the plan for for uh, for for tonight. Um, and I bet you're wondering what the fourth phase is, um, but yeah, I don't know. What where, where, where's your your brain on this one right now, Agnes? I mean, I I think there's like a trillion things to be disappointed about and frustrated about, and there's not like a single thing to take positively. And it's rare that there's literally like there's maybe I have like one positive for the entire game on both sides of the ball, which is not a great place to be for a team that's five and two <laughs> heading up into right. their final game before the bye. But I mean Look, ugly losses happen, bad losses happen. We don't have to like we can like take a step back and realize that at five and two, they're still like a good enough team. But it doesn't like escape the fact that that was 
That was one of the worst games of football I've seen the 49ers play under Kyle Shanahan since like 2020. And it was all bad. (laughs) For the most part, I think that's right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I don't know what else there is to say in the sort of lead up to this. By the way, my my four phases are the offense, defense, special teams. And then, you know, this was not as quite as poorly an officiated game as the one last week. But I I think there were definitely a few things that had me sort of like confuddled and and confused. Um, One of which we might talk about a little bit later. Um, We're just dropping all these teasers up here, up in here in the beginning. But um, yeah, I mean, but but at the same time, I mean, you look at the the offensive performance. It was, again, like I said, different within the struggles against the Browns, it just was a, it was a lack of closing, right? You know, they just couldn't get the job done in that regard. And then the, the, the defense just allowing it. It's really interesting to me. Like one of the things that we said that was going to be the, that could end up being the downfall of this Vikings team was if they become one, one dimensional and they, the 49ers didn't force them to become one dimensional. They just sort of, like decided they were going to be one dimensional. They ran the ball. Let's see, um, 19 times, um, and then two kneel downs for Kirk Cousins at the end. So 19 official rushes um, for. Let's see, what's the number? Uh, seven. The, the officially 21 for 74, but I guess it's 19 for like 75 or something like that. So nothing fantastic. They continue their run of, of having zero rushing touchdowns on the season. And they did that to themselves, which I thought was just so bizarre. I mean, they were having so much success throwing the football. So I guess it makes sense in that regard. But it's weird to just like, hey, we're we're winning this game. And they were winning the game from start to finish pretty much. And they just like decided we're not going to run the ball. We can't do it. So we're just not going to. And it was really weird because I, I feel like they had all those rushing yards like early in the game because I think there was like a a graphic that came up early in the in the game, something like they were averaging 60 something yards per game and they already had 75 yards at that point. And then they just sort of like, okay, we're done with that. I thought that was really bizarre from the Vikings. So I, I don't know what to make of any of that. It was just weird. Like you, you got what you wanted in the sort of like making them one dimensional and they couldn't stop it. I mean, I think I agree, but I also think, and it's hard not to just like get into what it will be a 20 minute rant about the defense. So big spoiler. If I, if you have to tell me which unit I think absolutely messed up last night, it's the defense. And I think yeah. we'll talk about it more when you talk about all the bad things from this game, but everything went wrong. But I think it was fascinating because those numbers are a really poor efficiency. Like, level right 19 for 75 give or take that's not great but one thing that i'm beginning to kind of realize is that the 49ers rush defense is not very consistent it's very good at times but it's not very consistent so i think i saw i half read a stat online that just said that the 49ers are last in the league on third down in rush defense so that means when it's third down and an opponent rushes the ball, they allow the most yards of anyone. And I think we see a lot more of these, like, sometimes Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw get in there or Hargrave gets in there and you get the ball and it's like they barely get a yard. 
but you see a lot of 11, 12-yard runs, seven, eight-yard dashes where it feels like it's just too easy. And I think if there's one thing we can kind of say about the Vikings offense, yesterday was that it was too easy. When they ran the ball, yeah. down in the red zone, which was like terrifyingly bad. I was, It was actually hilarious. And honestly, <laughs> the 49ers should have been – Okay, so well, two things. Assuming they like didn't mess up on offense as much as they did, they should have won the game. But keeping that aside, let's say the yeah. offense plays the same, they should have been blown out of the water. But the Vikings yep. literally mm-hmm. could not score a touchdown in the red zone. And it was probably the funniest thing I've seen. It's like, what, they had like two attempts at um, a QB sneak, and they got – Kirk Cousins got – well, down the first time they ran, then, they ran the QB sneak once and then the penalty yeah, the second time. Yeah. I the mean, fake, the, the snack fraction. That's what makes this most frustrating to me. It's not that they lost. Like, obviously that sucks. Don't lose games. Just like, especially not like this, but the Vikings for all they did gave you every chance to win. Like Kevin McConnell and Kirk cousins combined had the most conservative kind of like I say Cousins only because even though he played quite well, Cousins in the red zone was struggling quite a bit. It wasn't just the run game. But Kevin Connell had like mm-hmm. four opportunities where it's the easiest decision to go for it. And you know, they win the football game, so you can't critique decision making too much because the NFL's a results oriented business. But like from the four yard line, fourth and goal they don't go for it. They kick a field goal. From like the two-yard line, they kick a field goal. They have like fourth and two at midfield, and they decide to punt the ball away. They have like another fourth down, and they punt the ball away. I mean, it's just like poor like decisions that gave the 49ers a chance to stay in this game, and they still couldn't take advantage of it. And I think that's the real part that just hurts, is that they couldn't – they had a team in front of them that was playing well, yes, granted, taking advantage of all the issues, but – gave you every chance at the end to win the game. And, you know, when the Niners had two final drives to go, Brock Purdy throws two interceptions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't great. Um, And it was frustrating because, again, this was a game that we talked about as, like, this was a good opportunity for the Niners to bounce back. And that seemed to be the conversation for most people, right? Um, I think pretty much everybody expected that the the Niners defense would be frustrated by what PJ Walker did to them last week. Um, it's not nearly as bad as what <laughs> the com- combination of PJ Walker and Deshaun Watson did to the Colts on Sunday, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <clears throat> that's a, that's a rabbit hole we don't have to climb into. Uh, but you know, there's, I don't know. It's weird because it's not, it's not like you, it's, it's like you said, it's not, they they very well could have gotten blown out if it weren't for conservative play calling and some some bad misses by uh, cousins on in the red zone, especially the like the closer they got, the harder it seemed for him to complete passes, um, which is strange considering how successful he was completing passes throughout much of the rest of the game. Um, so it you you look at this and you go, okay, well they lost by one score two weeks in a row. It's little things here and there that would have would have changed it and it would have changed the narrative a little bit. But but we talked about this last week, too, in response to the Browns game. It would have changed the narrative a little bit if Jake Moody makes that field goal last week and they're six and zero coming into this game. Um, it changes the narrative a little bit, but we still would have had to have that conversation about, well, that was not a really good performance. They got away with it and they won. 
I think the same thing would have happened, you know, today if we were having this conversation and instead of throwing an interception at the end, Brock Purdy throws a touchdown and they end up winning the game. I, I still think we would have, we would have had to focus some of the conversation on, again, not a great performance. You get away with it. You win the game against lesser opponent. That's fine. Um, but it is the red flags have got to start to be coming out, right? Like there's, this isn't like panic mode quite yet. Um, but it's certainly like something you have to be aware of, like where there's, there seems to be more like glaring issues on this team than we might've suspected a couple of weeks ago. Well, so as always, you're taking the measured rational approach here. I am full panic right now because <laughs> I, <laughs> I've, so I've been much more pessimistic about the 49ers defense then I think they warranted because I don't trust the secondary. I don't. I haven't for like sure when it was set up, and I still didn't trust it. And I think you know against the Vikings, that's what we saw. We saw a secondary that was absolutely like struggling and couldn't get anything done. But I just think there's a trillion issues at play with that defense, and they just it was too easy, and that's the issue. It's okay, like. Like the Jordan Addison touchdown to end the half, which I have so many problems with that play. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll I'll get to it. That don't worry. We'll talk about it in more detail. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> like a play like that, absent the situation or the context of what's going on, right? Receiver comes up, wrestles the ball from a corner, scores a touchdown. That's a different type of thing than like what we saw happen, which is just Kirk Cousins drop, drops back, throws the ball eight yards down the field. Someone's wide open. They get 11, 12 yards, and you don't even like blink. You don't sweat about it because it doesn't seem like you're putting up any, any opposition. And on top of that, this team is severely unclutch. And that's not just the fact that they've lost two one-score games that they could have won, definitely should have won the Cleveland game. And, you know, probably should have been able to get down the field at least once in those two offensive drives. But that's okay. You know, that's a little harder to kind of assume will happen. But anytime the defense is forced to turn over, the last two games, the 49ers have completely, completely messed up how to respond to it. You can think about, like, in this game, Kirk Cousins gets intercepted second play of the game. Like, Huge momentum changer, completely changes the narrative. Boom, McCaffrey fumbles, Vikings hold. Next time down the field, the Vikings score a touchdown. Last week, you have the Fred Warner interception. Again, first drive of the game, offense goes, I mean, first defensive drive of the game. Offense goes backwards. Browns get a stop, kind of take control from the game defensively from there. Even against the Cowboys, we had the, I think it's the forced fumble on Tony Pollard. And McCaffrey fumbles. Luckily, then the defense was just playing better, so it didn't matter too much. But these are like the pivotal moments because, you know, there's a lot of discussion about whether analytics can, if like analytics can account for what is, man, I can't believe I'm blanking on the term. I'm going to be, it's going to be so annoying when I figure it out. Momentum. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so. Momentum. Okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all good. You got it. it. <laughs> there's some. Um, there's discussion whether you can account for momentum and whether it actually exists, you know? Like, can we say momentum's a real thing, yes or no? I think sure. it's, like, very obvious that momentum 
does play a role. There's something about like piling on to the human psyche. And the 49ers are unable to do that. As like a team right now, they don't continue domination. In fact, we have these opposite situations where they get like punched in the mouth a little bit. You know, one defensive drive goes wrong. They allow a big play. You have a penalty or something. And then boom, they don't respond. And it completely derails this team. And if there's anything that like is supremely concerning about these last two games, it's this part. Because that's not like something you can schematically change. That's not something that gets fixed if people get healthy. That's a, like an identity issue, right? And I don't want to like make overarching like conclusions about a football team seven games into the season with so many more opportunities to kind of define themselves. But there's one team in the NFC the 49ers are competing with, and it's the Eagles. This entire season, including the game against the Eagles, is a lead up to what should be an NFC championship match against the Eagles. And you have to look at Philly and like besides losing to the Jets, what was a bizarre game from Jalen Hurts, they have that ability to kind of, you know, squeak something out. It looks ugly. Something is wrong. It, you know, they but the breaks come their way and they they take advantage of it. And I think the 49ers have to find that little element in their identity and their DNA and be able to right the ship when something goes wrong faster than they are now. Because right now it's a snowball effect. Something goes bad. Like when they allowed that Addison touchdown, that felt almost like a death sentence. Obviously, I mean, I think it was up in the air, but that was one of those things where if the Vikings had another offensive possession after that, I don't think the 49ers would be able to, would have even been close to being keeping this a one score game. Yeah. I mean, and, and some of that is relative, right? Like the snowball effect for this team seems to be pretty small compared to what it could be. Um, I mean, again, they haven't gotten blown out in either of these games. You know, the Browns made them look pretty silly offensively and, and the Vikings made the defense look pretty silly. But still, at the end of the day, they only scored 22 points, which this offense should be more than capable of of outscoring a team that that so even so it's so it's i guess the better you are like the the larger those the more glaring those things become i guess is is what is is, i guess the point that i'm trying to make um so while you know the snowballing thing looks it's it's this huge impact because this is a team that should be better and these are teams that they should be beating um and so that i guess that's where the frustration comes from from my perspective um yeah i don't know um but I, I think you're right. Like they, this, they've got to figure out a way to. And I think historically, in some of this, and I did see something about this that they've not been the franchise has not been particularly good um, at sort of responding to going down um, with uh, with Kyle Shanahan as their head coach. Now, the caveat of that, of course, is that they were very, very bad for the first season, right? Um, and so, actually, the first what? Yeah, the first season and first two seasons. Yeah, they were very bad. So those numbers probably play into the fact that they're not they're they don't as a franchise. They have not been very successful when they go behind. I imagine a lot of those numbers come from the fact that they won what, like seven games in two years or something like that. 
Um, and then they also had the the 2020 season where they where everybody got injured and they were they didn't win a lot of games that year. So some of those numbers I take the with a grain of salt, right? Like you have to look at that and go, okay, but they were bad for two seasons, and then you know like some of these things. I would imagine that's not been the case as much when they've been good, but also when they've been good, they're much they're they've been much more likely to like get a lead early on. And so what we haven't seen yet, um, well, we saw it a little bit in the Browns game, like their ability to sort of recover and and come back. They just couldn't finish that one off um, with, you know, Jake Mooney missing the field goal at the end. But in this case, they were down the entire game and they never had a lead. And it was just weird uh, the way that they responded. And they just couldn't, couldn't figure out a way to, to claw their way back. Um, so, um, <laughs> this is, this has been a little bit of an unorthodox method. Um, I don't, I, I wanted to, to talk about a couple of other things that were going to be positive before we got into the negatives of this, but there you go. Um, so should, should we, I mean, and there's, do we have any like positive, I have a couple of like positive things that I wanted to point out, um, that are kind of cool. Um, do, did you have any, any positive things <laughs> to say about this game? <laughs> Well, so here's the thing. My positive becomes a negative, too, which is, like, super fun. Love it when that happens. But I really thought Brandon Ayuk played super well. I thought he was fantastic last night. As we're recording on Tuesday. Yeah. For, just to explain. But um, I thought he was really, really good. But then the negative becomes, like, when the game's on the line, he's just not, like, you can't tell me that Kyle Shanahan can't get a play that's designed to go to Brandon Ayuk and get him the ball in the face. Like, that's, you can't tell me that's not possible. So I don't understand these play calls that are like Ray Ray McLeod primary, Juwan Jennings primary. Like, get your best receiver the ball in space. But, I mean, he was, he was fantastic. He was a bright spot for an offense that was struggling quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually that's a good, a good, uh, you didn't, you didn't know that I was going to do this. So this actually really worked out. Um, I don't know if you saw, uh, ESPN analytics has this, the uh, best receivers in the NFL thing that they've been doing, uh, through week seven. Um, and it's based on three separate, uh, things basically. Um, it's based on how open they are based on I'm not really sure what, where the number comes from, but they have a, like a percentage of time that they're open, uh, a catch percentage, and then a yak uh, percentage, like res- the ratings based on those kinds of things. Uh, and so far through seven games, uh, AJ Brown is the best receiver in the NFL based on this analytical metrics that they that ESPN has devised. And Brandon Ayuk is number two. And um, I, actually, did you see, have you seen this yet? I have not. No, that's um, okay. That's, that sounds about right a little bit. Like, I'm not surprised that those two names are up there. So here's the best part. So Ayuk's catch catch percentage is, is, is not bad, 71. Uh, A.J. Brown's is 90, which is nuts. Oh this is out of 100, by the way. Um, his yak is a little down from where you'd probably expect it to be. He's at 41, which is not super high. Um, just as a point of reference, Brown is 62. D.J. Moore, who's in third, is in the 81 uh, yak percentage. Um, oh, but that's then, that's like heavily yeah. skewed. So we don't need to get into this too much. But that's heavily skewed by that like 250 yard game on Thursday night, where he had like yeah. three touchdowns by running 60 yards afterwards. This is true. Um, 
George Kittle is fifteenth uh, overall in this in this uh, metric, and Debo Samuel's at twenty four. So th- the top three 49ers receiving weapons in the top uh, twenty five, which is nice to see. Um, I'm, I don't think they're including running backs, so it doesn't look like McCaffrey uh, fits into this list. It looks like it's specifically pass catchers only. Um, which makes sense because they're running routes and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but here is the thing that that uh, that is most striking. Um, Brandon Ayuk's open rating. I'm, and again, I'm not really sure how they make these decisions. But this is just what they've decided. Brandon Ayuk, according to this this metric, is open 99% of the time. <laughs> you know, that... That, so I have no idea how you decide that, but that also doesn't sound again. No, where these these metrics come like, from, but like ninety nine percent, that's a little crazy. And I, but he is open. I mean, he's always open. And this, I should say this. I should say this is a rating, not a percentage. So that's slightly, um, slightly uh, misleading. But his that's the ninety nine is is the highest that it goes. So it's zero to ninety nine. So he is perfect in the open rating and of course they're using you know the next gen stats and stuff like that to to devise these came these these pieces of information but i just thought that was wild like (laughs) um 99 just like nobody nobody else is is there um in fact if i let's see if it'll do it uh keenan allen uh is second in that metric and he's at a 90 along with nathan dell a houston wide receiver who's also at a 90 um so wild um but yeah that speaks to the thing that you were saying about brandon i just being there and he's he's pretty much always available is what that number would suggest like whether or not brock sees him and makes the right throw which is something that he was really capable of doing in the first half and then just didn't find him in the second it's just not good um i was gonna to throw out a positive for uh christian mccaffrey um who of course scored his uh 16th straight game with a touchdown um which is pretty cool like that's a number that keeps on moving uh getting closer to the setting uh to getting to that record i think it's 17 or 18 is the the nfl record if you include playoffs and we talked about this before he'd have to get to like week what did i say week 11 or 12 to match the regular season number which was ladanian tomlinson's uh crazy year that he had uh several years ago the other thing that i i i heard this um somewhere else i'm trying to remember oh um it's on 49 ers stock the matt mayoko is talking about this is his 13th career game with a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown he's behind only marshall falk all time for this for that number marshall falk had 15 so i I feel pretty confident that uh that mccaffrey can catch him because just seems to be uh have a knack for for that kind of thing but that that that's a positive right good great mccaffrey went out there doesn't seem to have banged himself up any further and and uh he scored two touchdowns so that was good yeah i mean you know he was as good as the offensive line allowed him to be i'd say minus his fumble that was really bad that was really really bad but you know that kind of happens sometimes and you hope your team can overcome situations like that but he's um he he put it all out there i will say i mean played basically every snap while dealing with an oblique and Shanahan when he was out there. (laughs) Yeah. Shanahan, he didn't, he wasn't shy about using him too. McCaffrey was getting run. And I mean, he, he did his part minus again, the fumble. That's like the huge 
outlier in all these this praise, but everything else he was he was yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I, I think we can sort of talk about the down collectively because I think we're probably going to talk about most of the same things. Um, it's obviously like pretty much everything else besides those two things that we that we were that we talked about. And yours even turned into a down, and you turned mine into a down as well. So, you know, everything's everything's dour when you lose, right? So, obviously, the fumble that McCaffrey had early in the game, I thought, even though that was like the first offensive drive for the 49ers that made a big difference. Like the fact that they weren't able to score there and turn that turnover into a touchdown was a big deal. And that that, like, even if they get three points there, um, that would have made a big difference at the end of the game. Because if you assume they scored three points there and then everything else happens exactly the same way, which I know you can't, because that's not how things work. Uh, But if you assume that the Vikings still scored all the rest of the points that they scored and yada, yada, um, then you're going down to try to get a field goal to win the game because you're only down by two at that point, um, as opposed to being down by five and needing a touchdown. So it would have changed everything. Um, we talked about the late TD at, at, for the Vikings at the end of the half. Um, and those kinds of things, Purdy's anti-heroics at the end of the game. I thought it was really weird, like how last week he had like, his worst game is a professional. And then he goes out there and gets the job done at the end. And then Moody can hit the field goal this week was kind of reverse. It wasn't like his best game as a professional, but it was like, he was playing really well through the first three quarters. And then the last quarter, he just sort of imploded and not so great. Um, the defense obviously couldn't get off the field on third down. And then there was two other things that I wanted to point out. Um, and I, I know that you have many things that you want to say about the defense. So I don't want to, <laughs> I don't I don't want to like let you uh, not not allow that you that runway Um, Two big plays. And I mentioned the officiating earlier and and there were a couple of things that I wanted to note. And there was like that that trio of of plays in the middle of the game. Um, I think it was in the third quarter. Um, Yeah, it was in the third quarter because I remember where it was. Uh, It was the cousins. No, no call on the intentional grounding. Um, then the uh, Charvarius Ward, um, was it a, a holding penalty that didn't really look like he actually made any contact or is an illegal contact penalty, I think. And then the, uh, Diamond Lenore, uh, pass interference, uh, that led to them almost scoring a touchdown, <laughs> which they didn't. Um, yeah, I don't know. Again, last week's game was way more way worse uh from an efficiencing point of view but i mean that that sequence in and of itself made a pretty big difference and it 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 says it's it's something related to the thing you were talking about before where you're like they don't recover very well but also like that's i i don't know like how is that non-intentional grounding i'm very confused like he literally intentionally threw it into the ground to avoid a sack like if that's not what the the rule is for then i'm not really sure what it's for personally i thought there was uh running back in the area that's what i thought is that it was intentional grounding except it's that the, was the explanation. that's what the explanation that the referees gave they were they were pointing at the at the running back but he threw it like like a foot in front of him and even the the guy on the broadcast was like yeah i would call it as intentional grounding because it's the like the intent of it was not to try to get it to the running back it was to literally avoid the sack by throwing it into the ground. I, it's interesting. I don't know. I mean, I kind of 
like I would like them to call more intentional grounding, but you know, I think it's kind of iffy. He's there. It's hard to um I think explicitly gauge and assume intent in that way. So NFL gives the benefit of the doubt to <laughs> I don't know about that one. Yeah. But Yeah, I mean it I don't know. I think you could pretty much gauge intent in that particular case. If you look at it, he threw the ball like at his own feet. Like it wasn't an attempt to get the ball closer to his receiver, but that's just me. Yeah. I mean, the penalties on the secondary were very reminiscent of 2021. And also like just basically anytime the 49ers have sucked under Kyle Shanahan, it's just been like, Bad, like incapable, <laughs> like you don't even think they can cover anyone. Like that's how bad it's been. So it it, it felt a little ticky tacky at times. I think you know, I think there were a lot of also deserved calls. I think the 49ers corners were just grabby. They were aggressive, and it didn't seem to help at all anywhere because they gave up like 350 yards to the Vikings passing attack and also had like seven penalties. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, I'm, I'm gasping at straw, grasping at straws here because this is, you know, a game that you look at it and you're like, okay, if these little things that happens, like if they did call that an intentional grounding, do they end up scoring there at that on that drive? Who knows? Maybe who knows? They were being successful with everything else, but I'd like to think that if they got to, you know, third and 25 or whatever, it would have been at that particular point that, <clears throat> maybe maybe it'd be all right but i don't know um uh, yeah i mean there's that and and then the other the other hill that i'll die on is that harrison smith committed as much of a penalty as Tarvarius ward did Sean. on that play mm-hmm. on on jennings on the first interception but neither here nor there <clears throat> i'll agree with you on that one i think illegal con- calling illegal contact seems like it seems dumb to like call it in some cases, but not others. But that's also a penalty where you could call it every play. So you just got to be consistent. They weren't right. very consistent on it. Yeah. That's what I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Akshaz, here's your here's your uh, your opportunity. But I'm I'm gonna throw a, a slight wrench into it, um, and I'm gonna and you can you can do whatever it is that you were gonna say about the defense because I know you have lots of things. But I ask this question to you to, to think about in light of the thoughts that you're going to say, Did, is this a defensive coordinator issue? Is this a, a, a fit with, with what the 49ers want to do? Um, and you don't have to answer that right off the bat, but if you want to say your other things and then think about that question too, um, I'm just curious as to where that, because that seems to be maybe creeping into the, the conversation a little bit. Well, like always you read my mind. I, do think there is a problem brewing with Steve Wilkes. Now, Steve Wilkes is not a bad defensive coordinator, but the 49ers defense yesterday was incompetent. It wasn't even bad. It was incompetent. It was so, like, illogical on so many levels what they were trying to do to the Vikings. And I think that's what eventually, that's what is the real concern for me is that it seemed like they didn't really have a good plan on how are we going to play this offense. And the Vikings could just get whatever they want. It didn't seem like they had a good plan against the Browns either, despite the fact that it was PJ Walker back there. So I think 
it goes many ways. The 49ers defensive line did not show up at all. Full stop. No sacks on Kirk Cousins against a struggling Minnesota offensive line. Unacceptable. Unacceptable that they couldn't get pressure and then finish the job. But on top of that, there's the equal bigger issue that Steve Wilkes is an aggressive defensive coordinator. This has been kind of the discussion so long as he's been, like we've been talking about his addition, is that he'll bring a little more of an aggressive attitude to a defense that has been very good, but sometimes can be so passive that they kind of like walk into a touchdown, right? There's been some discussion about this issue in the past with the Seattle cover three kind of system, but if there's not a play that doesn't embody just how like dumb it can be (laughs) be as aggressive as you are, it's that touchdown Jordan Addison had to end the half. It is like 11, I think at max it's 16 seconds left in the half. The Vikings have no timeout. They're on their own 40. (laughs) It's like third and eight, third and 10, third and 15. There is no world where the Minnesota Vikings should score a touchdown. I don't even think there's a possibility they can score a field goal because that with a pass that long, you also have to run down, spike it. Like there's a very low chance that any of that stuff works out. So the idea to call a six-man blitz, cover zero, no safety help coverage, is by far one of the dumbest decisions I've seen (laughs) from a defensive coordinator just ever. I mean, when the Raiders defensive coordinator called the same blitz on a Hail Mary to end the game against the Dolphins, I think a year or two ago, he was eviscerated. You know why he was eviscerated? Because it's a ridiculous call. It doesn't matter that Mooney Ward might have had his second interception, right? That's not – we. that's like a small part of it. Ward needs to bat that ball down. You don't need to get an interception yeah. because most likely Addison's going to tackle you down anyway. Like, it's just situational disawareness from – Everyone, and that starts up top at the defensive coordinator level. And I don't know what Wilkes was looking at when he thought that was a good idea. You gain nothing. Is the idea that, like, you force Cousins to fumble the ball, maybe? That's a ridiculous thing to plan for with 10 seconds left to go when your offense just scored a touchdown and they're going to get the ball at the half. And the 49ers lost by five points. That is actually a score. I think you can legitimately say you can take that off the board and the rest of the game can still play out the way it does, and the 49ers win this football game. That play might have single-handedly cost them this game, and it was a failure on all parties. But it's not just the fact that that play was really dumb. That play was really dumb. That might be the dumbest thing that happened in football this week. But (laughs) it's just the game plan. Either there's a six-man blitz or a five-man blitz or a seven-man pressure and you have corners who are backed off the receivers for like seven yards, and you don't get to Cousins in time, and then he gets an easy pitching catch. Or you rush for, nothing happens, and your coverage scheme just gets diced up. I understand that your defensive line isn't getting the pressure you want, so you want to call more blitzes. But if you use blitzes as your primary way to generate pressure, that's an easy thing to beat. And that's what the Vikings did. The Vikings put Max Protect, had two receivers run routes, had 
Hawkinson leak out a couple times, get a pitch and catch because the Niners can't get home and their secondary is overwhelmed now because they're too many one-on-ones for a team that doesn't have the coverage capability to have those individual matchups and win all the time and then go from there. And it was just play after play after play. You could almost, you saw it happening. Minnesota was not stressed at all this game. And I think that's the biggest issue. There's too much talent on this 49ers defense to allow that to happen. And I think part of that is that some players didn't show up to play. I don't think Nick Bosa was very good. I don't think Javon Hargrave was very good. Eric Armstead was very good. Looney Ward, of course, had his struggles. I don't think Hufanga played very well either. Fred Warner was, you know, he was like not his defensive player of the year self, but he was all right. Like he's typically the one guy who gets it going. But I mean, just absolutely terrible execution. And that starts from the guy who's in, who's supposed to set the game plan, put his players in a place to succeed. The 49ers were not in a place to succeed. And their players played like they didn't know how to attack Minnesota. And at the end result, there was simply like, it almost felt like a formality that Minnesota was going to get the ball to their own 40-yard line. And from there, you just had to hope that they're um, – that they're basically their own ineptitude and offensive inefficiency took over and you could have one player make a big play and kind of take care of it. I mean, it was just this defense is too good and has played too well to have a, two games like this now. It's not only against Minnesota, it's against Cleveland too. And I mean, I think to pull a full point to your question, I do think there's an issue. I think Steve Wilkes is a little too aggressive for this defense. And I think what's happening is he kind of, it's an overestimation of the secondary and an underestimation of the defensive line. And you're putting your team in compromising situations and it's not working right now. And if it does work, then you're going to overdo it. And eventually there'll be counters. You just, you simply cannot win in the national football league. If your primary strategy for pressure is to bring a blitz, it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm right there with you. And um, it, it, it kind of seems like, well, I don't know. You have to read between the lines a little bit. I'm not sure if you, I'm not sure if you saw what Kyle Shanahan's response to oh, it yeah. was. Um, he, he, he did not go so far because I guess the question was something like, did you like the call? And his response was, I didn't like the outcome, which is sort of like coach speak for, you know, didn't, didn't care for that. Um, I mean, I suppose, again, you could look at it and you go, okay, if Mooney Ward knocks the ball down, are we, again, th- there's a lot of, th- the weird thing, obviously, about this sport is that it, there's a lot of process and then there's what actually happens, right? Um, and the process of that was obviously flawed and it was exacerbated by the fact that Ward couldn't get the, the ball from, from Addison like he did the first time. Um, where he just like ripped it from his from his arms, and this this time the reverse happens, and then there's nobody in place to to because without the safety help, because if it wouldn't have been so bad, like if um you know Deshaun Gibson had been standing right there to be able to help with the with the play to to make a tackle, and then it's it's it hurts, but it's not like they're automatically going to score because like you said, are they going to be able to run down the field, spike the ball and get, you know, get line back up and spike the ball in time to get a, a field goal chance. And even there, three points, eh, whatever. Um, it changes the the game a little bit, but not as much as, as the circumstance. But, and I think you're right. I think if you, it is reasonable to say 
that everything else that happened throughout that game could have happened exactly as it did um, with even if that touchdown isn't scored. But in that case, the Niners are up what by one point they win. <laughs> they win 17 to 16. Is that right? Uh, if my math is correct, because they kick two. Yeah, I think so. Um, so it's not great, but it's a win. And we probably are not complaining about it too much. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to see if if there's changes that are made. And um, I mean, I, I don't think that Steve Wilkes is going to get fired or anything in the middle of the season for a five and two team. But he has certainly got to figure out a way to. Like combine like figure out how to use his personnel a little better because it seems as it's like something's not adding up and i I think nick bosa said something to the effect of like we're usually a like a team that relies on four players getting home um and he he said something to that effect and it's it's like okay so even bosa is aware like of the fact that this is weird and kind of out of character and you wonder if that's something that the rest of the, the players think on that defense too. I mean, I think they have to, right? Because it, they're just, it's different and it's different in a bad way, yeah. right? Like it's one thing if you bring in like exotic blitzes that really like time it up and Wilkes can do that, but you got to realize the identity of this, like uh, this defense it's to rush for everything works because this defense can rush for because Fred Warner can take care of the middle of the field. This entire defensive ecosystem revolves around those two things happening. And you, by blitzing Warner and by what's it called, bringing blitzes, you're taking away Warner's ability to completely erase the middle of the field. And you're taking away the ability to drop seven in coverage consistently. And you're asking players to do things that they're not capable of doing. And that's the biggest thing, right? One thing that I think we never gave D'Amico Ryans and Robert Sala enough credit for was simply the fact that like they had some gaping holes on the, on the defensive line at times. Like you can think about Ryans basically cycling in a fourth edge rusher to figure things out. You can think about Sala and Ryans with this like QB two spot, CB two spot, sorry. And like the constant cycle of who's going to play there. Safety was an issue. Nickel corner has been an issue. Third linebacker has been an issue. And they found ways to work around these holes using the talent they had on their team. And it feels like Wilkes is kind of painting a huge picture and putting the spotlight right on the fact that the 49ers are still searching for their fourth edge rusher. And the 49ers are still looking for a really consistent high, high level second corner. Because, you know, Lenore is good. Don't get me wrong. But that's definitely a place where you could reasonably see like another player playing and kind of tightening everything up altogether. I mean, again, there's one team that's a perfect comparison for this team and that's Philadelphia and Philadelphia secondary has exactly, has exactly that with Bradbury and Slay. And not to mention just Kevin Baird. Yeah. <laughs> All pro safety back there. I it's mean, not... look, cool. Yeah. This, no big deal. We mentioned Phil, I mentioned Philly a lot because at the end of the day, that's the team the 49ers have to beat. And that's the team that Philly has to beat the 49ers. 49ers have to beat Philly. And, right. you know, Brock Purdy got hurt last time and we never got to see a proper game. So there's a question of like, well, which team can actually take care of it business, you know? 
And when we get to that game, you're going to talk a ton about it. It's going to be a huge deal because that's the measuring stick. In the same way the Cowboys were crowing about how important the 49ers were as the measuring stick for them, Philly is the measuring stick for the 49ers. This is because mm-hmm. to win the Super Bowl, either San Francisco or Philadelphia is going to be in the NFC Championship game, and they're going to be the team you have to beat. And most likely it'll be both of them, despite all the issues that we're talking about with the 49ers. And that's, that's, that is it. That's like the end of the story. So you have to yep. be in the best position to beat them and then beat either Miami or Kansas City or Buffalo or whoever comes out of the <laughs> with a fantastically – okay, maybe not Buffalo, but like a fantastically talented offense with some really good defenses now as well. You have – that is your challenge. That's the thing that matters. I don't care that they lost a game to the Vikings because at the end of the day, if it means they get the two seed, that's a big deal. But otherwise, you know, you kind of – you deal with it, you roll with the punches. What I care about is that this team very clearly is lacking in some places. Offensively, they lack of cohesion, and their run game has completely disappeared out of nowhere. And defensively, they just can't, like, play well right now. Nothing seems to be working, and they're relying upon the brilliance of their players to kind of bail out what is otherwise – poor game planning and poor execution across the board. And that's not going to work when the other side has players just as good as yours. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's all, that's all very fair. Um, and I think that's, that makes a lot of sense. Like if they want to maintain um, the opportunity to like be able and, and, and you know it's not out of question out of the question they could still get the number one seed the eagles still have to play um i think the cowboys twice before their season is over and they'll you know it's not like they're gonna get off scot-free and and they'll have an easy ride to the to the number one seed at this point but it's certainly you do have to be aware of the gap widening uh, i think right now if i'm not mistaken they would technically be the number three seed if the season ended today based on conference record because that's the other thing that this this one stings a little bit more than the browns one does because it's an nfc opponent uh which um in the in the the conference record is one of the uh tiebreakers um is when you when it comes to overall conference seating so that's that would be a little bit of a problem, like if it ends up being them and Detroit between for like a number two seed or something like that. Uh, they, if it would be horrible to lose <laughs> the number two seed on a situation like that. But um, obviously, the one seed is what you want because that means you get the buy and that means you get to, to host everything as long as you're you're moving along. So um, yeah, I mean, this this feels to me like. Man, I really wish the bye week were next week instead of the week after the Bengals game. But at the same time, you you, you also want an opportunity to like stop the bleeding before the bye, and you kind of hope that um, you uh, you get that opportunity. And, and you do, and you have that you have the chance. Uh, this is a weird Bengals team uh, that I'm sure we'll talk about uh, in greater length this uh, later in the week when we start when we do the preview. But um, yeah, I mean, I think you have to. And, and Shanahan was very like blunt about this. He was like, all right, well, we're moving on. Like it's like he, he kind of pulled a bill, check a bell, check a little bit and said, you know, on the, on Cincinnati kind of thing. It's like, we gotta, we can't, I mean, we'll, you know, look at the tape and, and, uh, and, and try to learn things from it. But at the same time, you just can't linger on this loss, especially cause it's a short week. Um, 
because they have fewer days than they would have to prepare and the Bengals are coming off a bye. So those are all things to, to look out for. But I, I think this is still a good football team, but I think there are certainly things they have to either figure out a way to um, work around if they can't improve the, their situation. And they got time before the trade deadline um, if they want to make another move, but they, they, they have to figure out a way to, to either fix something that the fix the problems or to mask the problems a little better and, or they're going to find themselves in a heap of trouble here pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, look, this team was what three and five traded for McCaffrey went on a run and that kind of, mm-hmm. so you don't lose or win the Super Bowl after seven games. If there were seven and no, we'd be saying nice, cool, they keep on they keep on winning. They're stacking wins. They are a game up on Philly. They're a game, two games up on Detroit. That's all well and good. But they're in perfectly fine position. But they have set for themselves the very explicit goal of being like, we want to win a Super Bowl. Everyone wants to win a Super Bowl, but they're like, look, at the end of the day, none of this matters if we don't win a Super Bowl. So that's the standard we have to hold this team to. And to that standard, these the last two games has not been good enough. And, you know, you there's a really easy world where you see Cincinnati absolutely running roughshod over a defense that can't cover anyone right now. I mean, with how they cover screens half the time, I am only half kidding when I say I think I could line up there, receive a little <laughs> screen, and get three yards before I fall down to avoid, like, breaking every bone in my body. But, I mean... <laughs> Like, there's some serious issues right now yeah. defensively that I think are what are really concerning me. Because the offense kind of like, you kind of expect some growing pains a little bit. And without Trent Williams and without Debo, you know, you're you're asking a lot out of a couple players. And that's a luxury you have, that losing Trent Williams and losing Debo doesn't like immediately you mean you have no more stars on offense. You have like the best running back in the game right now. And I, according to ESPN, the second best wide receiver in the game, but you know, I think that's something you can kind of see, make it simple, make it quick and they can get back on track. But this defense, there's something wrong right now and they have to figure it out. Yep. Yep. Well said Um, right there with you. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll let that serve as the, the final word that I usually give to you. So, um, I think that that ended up working out pretty naturally. So hopefully we've aired our grievances enough. Um, we've got that out of our system and it's on to Cincinnati, as uh, Bill Belichick would say. Um, <laughs> uh, well, thanks uh, for listening to this episode of the Niner Noise podcast, part of the fan-sided podcast network. As always, please continue to check out NinerNoise.com for all your latest 49ers news and analysis. And be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And of course, share it with all your fellow 49er fan friends. So until next time, let's sound the horn, 49ers. 